listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Happy Palm Sunday. So this text, it makes sense that it would come around, you know, as we're working our way through the lectionary year after year. Eventually, we would run into the text that I often quote at the end of every service when I invite us to the table. But um, a few words about this, of course. Um, I think it is important to have some kind of realization, some kind of uh, cognitive activity that as we're coming to the table, we're aware what's happening. Like we know what's being celebrated, what's being commemorated, what we're actually being invited to. And of course, that is nothing other than Jesus's invitation to come and be with him. His good news was that the kingdom of God was coming. So he wanted to celebrate that. And he used the table, he used meals as that primary form of invitation, which is really remarkable because... In the ancient world, particularly within uh, Judaism, the table was often used as a way to demarcate the community, right? There's certain things that they would eat that others didn't. There's certain people they would eat with that others wouldn't. And even if you were Jewish yourself, there would be times that you would, re- you would kind of move back from the table and not participate. Like you would have become spiritually, temporarily um, unfit, right? Unclean. All sorts of things could do this to you the regular things of life, but it would. It would kind of separate you out. And Jesus starts to use the table in almost an inverse way, right? He's starting to use the table not so much as a way of of demarcating the outsides, but as kind of inviting everybody to the inside. And so it gets him into all sorts of trouble. I mean, he does eat with the folks that a typical rabbi you think might eat with. That is, we see him eating with other Pharisees. And they're like, of course, he's a rabbi. Of course he eats with the Pharisees. But then he also eats with this you know, prostitute. And then he also eats with these tax collectors. Then he also eats with these sinners. And they're starting to say, this, this rabbi, he's weird. Like, what's up with this guy? And so we see here in, in this gospel, this day, um, this text, that this is the institution of that, right? This is the the formalization of Jesus saying, like the night before he would be crucified, that this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood, which is shed for you, and I want you to eat, and I want you to drink, and I want you to be a part of me in the same way that I am a part of the Father. Now, what's interesting is at the end of the institution, it says, say this, like he's, he's saying these words, these words of institution that we say all the time. And then he says, and one of you who has his hand on the table is going to betray me. And you can imagine a lot of them would have had their hand on the table. They're like, Ooh. wait a minute. What did he say? Did, did he say that one of us is going to betray him? What's he talking about? Who do you think that is? Not me. The, the phrase, it turns so fast. Like when you were reading the story, it, it happens so fast. It, there, it's likely that you missed it. 
Because Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me. And they questioned, what is this? And they got into a dispute, not about who was going to betray him. Isn't that what you think they might have been disputing, right? Like, one of you, the one whose hand's on the table is going to betray me. I don't know, you, you, I don't know. They get into a fight, again, not about who's going to betray him. They get in a fight about who's the greatest. Yeah. Like, adventures and missing the point with Jesus' disciples. So somehow they quickly moved from perhaps I could be the one who might betray Jesus to Maybe I'm the best guy here. I'm certainly better than that guy. Jesus is like, no, boys, no. Listen, the Gentiles, the kings of this world, when they lead, they lord over people, right? They want to be at the top of the pyramid. They want to be large and in charge. They want to be the greatest, right? But it's not going to work like that here. The economy of our group functions differently. Now, a little history lesson here. Uh, most likely, the table they were sitting at would have been in a big U shape. And there, it would have been fairly low without chairs, and they would have been kind of reclining. So you kind of pulled yourself up to the table, right? And the host, which in this case would have been Jesus, would have had the youngest person sitting next to him, and not unlike in our culture, sometimes if you're the young one, you are kind of the responsible to kind of get up and get things, right? So you're at the table, right? And somebody needs to go get the lemonade. You're at the table and somebody thinks, oh, look, the mashed potatoes doesn't have a serving spoon, right? You send the little one over to get it, right? So that, that was kind of their custom too. So the youngest one would have been on one side of the host, but the other side of the host would have been like the guest of honor, right? Kind of the... the the most um, important position to sit in. And so Jesus is there, and he goes, which, which one do you think is the greater spot to sit in? The guest of honor spot? Or the spot for the young one? Right? Not quite as bad as when I was a kid. We didn't even get to sit at the table. We had like a kid's table. It was in a different room altogether. <laughs> but yeah, Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's not the guest of honor. Like, this is not the spot in the kingdom that you want to be in. It's this spot. You want to be in the spot where the young one sits. And the older I get, the more I might appreciate that. <laughs> It'd be nice to be the youngest one in the group. You want to be in the spot where the youngest one sits because that's the one who serves. And look at me. I serve you. So if you want to be like me, then you must want to serve. What a lesson, right? Especially given that he said, one of you are going to betray me, and they got an argument <laughs> over who's the greatest. So Jesus gives this beautiful lesson about, uh, about serving, about his kind of flipped economy, right? The way in which his kingdom is, it's, almost the, it's the inverse of the pyramid. It's not who's on top, right? It flips it over and and. It prefers the other. Community, my friends, has a lot to do about deference, right? You defer because you care. To be a part of a community is not always to get things your way. 
to always get your things your way is, is a dictatorship, right? And you have to be the dictator, <laughs> right? If we want to be a part of a community, then we both give and take. That is, we both give of ourselves and we receive from others. Now, it'd be nice if our story had just come to an end, but not quite. So, Jesus has given this lesson about servanthood and about service, and he's like, Simon, Simon. I don't know what Peter was doing, but apparently he wasn't listening very well. And he's like, Peter, hey, Pete, over here. Eyes on me, buddy. And he's like, I tell you, Peter, um, and he, now he's speaking to the group, right? And that translation did, it, did a really good job. Because although he said, hey, Pi, uh, Peter, pay attention, or Simon, pay attention, he's now speaking to all of them. He said, look, Satan is looking to sift you all. My watch has been trying really hard to come to faith lately. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure if a watch can get saved, but if it can, mine might be one of the first to do so. Um, it's like, Simon, pay attention. This, this, is going, this is a dangerous time. This is a time where you'll be tested. And Peter's like, now again, he said this to them all, right? The, the you there is plural. Right? Satan is looking to get at you all. And Peter now speaks up and says, Look, Lord, Jesus, Master, Rabbi, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus says, Listen, Peter, it's going to be a dark night. And before the rooster crows in the morning, three times you will deny that you even know me. So I want to I draw a quick contrast here between the betrayal that's being predicted that Judas is going to um, do, participate in, and the denial that Peter has been predicted that Peter is going to do. Because I think the two of those things are fairly close to one another. And I think the two of those things are kind of like the, again, kind of the apex of an iceberg, Right? They're the part that we see and we often focus on. But like icebergs, the biggest part is kind of under the water. Like what happened before? What led us to that point? So we all I mean, like to scapegoat Judas and kind of point our fingers. He was the one, I guess, whose hand was on the table that Jesus was speaking of. And he did what was a horrible thing, Right? He um, betrayed his rabbi. He betrayed his master, and he turned him over to the authorities. Um, I hadn't heard this before, but when we were in Israel a few weeks ago, um, our guide told us that uh, students would kiss their rabbi uh, on the shoulder like a, as a greeting. Like it was particularly a greeting from a student to a rabbi. And so when... Judas identifies Jesus, he does so as a student would identify his rabbi, which made the cut all the deeper, right? That um, Jesus would be betrayed by his student in such a way that publicly 
Judas is saying, yeah, this is my teacher, which, of course, is heartbreaking. And I want us to think about this. Judas and Peter had both been with Jesus for years. Judas and Peter had both been baptized. Judas and Peter had both eaten from the table. Not just this table, most recently, uh, in this whole institution of the supper, but meal after meal, day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, they had eaten with Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had seen the miracles. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him calm the storm. They had seen him feed the multitude. They had seen him give sight to the blind. They had seen him cleanse the leopards. They had, they had seen him do all these things. And they had been taught. He had washed their feet. He had served them the meal. Both of them. And yet Judas, Judas betrays Jesus. But then there's Peter, right? What's going on in Peter's life? Peter, Peter's mistakes are so similar in so many ways. I mean, one, Jesus is having to call him down. Simon, Simon, pay attention. And sometimes I feel like I hear Jesus saying that to me. Robbie, Robbie, pay attention. Over here, bud. Look at this, not that. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't, don't focus on those things. They're not even important. Focus on these things. And like Peter, I fall, and not just Peter, but the rest of them, I fall into the trap of comparison. Well, how am I like and compared to these other folks? And I'm not even comparing my folks to I mean, we can set aside the problem of comparison or notwithstanding the problem of comparison if we're talking about wealth or if we're talking about politics or if we're talking about, you know, Christians versus the world. We're just talking about fellow disciples of Jesus and wanting to be somehow better than the others. And Peter over there obviously had been in that debate and now he speaks up and says... I'll go with you no matter what. And that very night, that very night, before the rooster crows in the morning, he will have denied that he knew Jesus three times. Now, I want to be careful here. Certainly, Scripture is pretty transparent when it comes to the disciples. We see a lot of their mistakes. But let's not forget that they are kind of the pillars of the church. Had it not been for them, Jesus' message would not have been shared, right? So they go and they establish the church in Jerusalem, in Antioch, in Alexandria, in, in Rome, in India. Like the church just goes every which direction and the folks who carried that were the apostles. And the apostles' teachings, like they were people of faith. They were a motley crew with all sorts of troubles, but they were a motley crew that were faithful. And that, I think, is important to remember. One of the things it might say to us is this, is that um, you don't have to be perfect. You can make all sorts of mistakes and still be significantly used by God in this world. But today, of course, as you know, is 
is Palm Sunday. And it's not just, it's not just the disciples that I think we should pay attention to on this day. It's also the crowd. Because truth be known, uh, in the story, you know, we, we read the scriptures and we want to put ourselves in them, right? And we want to often put ourselves very close to Jesus. <laughs> but uh, truth be known, none of us were the apostles. None of us were those were that close to Jesus. In fact, if we were trying to find ourselves in the story, we probably shouldn't identify with the 12. We probably should just identify with the crowd, <laughs> right? That's who we are. And so what's the crowd doing this day? Well, they're, they're waving the palm branch. They're pretty excited about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The palm branch was a kind of a symbol of Jewish nationalism. You found, we find it on their coins. We found it etched in their um, buildings, right, in their architecture. It was an important symbol for them. And so to wave the palm branch to welcome in Jesus is to kind of say, hey, we could really use a king to come out and kick, you know, come and kick the Romans out, right? And so Jesus is coming not in from the Mediterranean, where the current ruler of the time would come, right? Pilate would come down from Caesarea and up into Jerusalem from the um, west. Jesus is coming in from the east, and Pilate would have come in with his military on his white stallion, and Jesus is coming in by, his, by himself and his you know, ragamuffin group on a donkey. Like, the contrast is extraordinary. And the people who are there, they're saying beautiful things, Right? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're called, again, in the text, the crowd, the multitude. It's just a matter of days that there's another reference to the crowd or the multitude. And do you know what they're saying? Yeah, you know what they're saying. This is a pretty familiar story. They're not saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Man, what a shift. You see the shift in Peter, right? Listen, I'll go, to, I'll go to prison with you. I go to death with you. And then he's like, I don't even know that guy. I swear to God, get away from me, girl. I don't know who that is. Right? And you see the shift from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him. So again, in finding our way, it's the name of our Lenten series, we're not just roaming around. Finding our way is doing the best that we can, not just individually, but even collectively as Oasis. Finding our way is doing the best we can to live this life following Jesus. He is the way. He's the way maker, the miracle worker, right? the light in the darkness. And that's what we're trying to do. And, and particularly today, we're talking about the life giver because despite all that we might try and do, all that we might claim, we have one who can do and has done all those things and is offering us a life, offering us forgiveness and acceptance, but expecting of us 
uh, an expectation that we will follow, that we will follow his way. Um, this one, this is a plastic one, so we won't do it here, but the tradition is to take the, the palms, the actual palms, and to burn them after Palm Sunday. I love that tradition. It's kind of saying, that's now gone, and we're on to something new. Because Christianity, my friends, is not a um, single event. It's not a one-day affair. It's not something that simply happened into your, in your life in the past. Christianity is always in the present and the future. It's, it's what we're doing now, and it's where we're headed. The way that we're on requires us to participate. It's, it's a movement. It's an action. And sure, we fall and we make mistakes, but there's grace for that. And it's a matter of, of keep, keeping going, like not stopping, following the Lord, loving those who are close by, serving those that we find in need, and we're just in the motion. And we can't, we can't stop because to stop is to, is to get left behind. It's to turn back. It's to follow another way. So the crowd, God love us, can be pretty fickle. They can say, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm with Jesus and the church and all that stuff. And then, no, 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 I hate that stuff. But we don't want to be that. Because Christ has given us a life. Now, there's this phrase in the Gospels that gets used a lot. First, it's used by Jesus. It's come and see. He says it to his disciples. He says it to strangers. He says it to other people. Come. Come and see. What's interesting is his disciples start to use that exact same language. Jesus says to Andrew, come and see, as he's calling him. And then Andrew finds Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. And then the woman at the well in Samaria, when she finds out who Jesus is and she comes to Jesus, she goes to her village and she says, come and see. And what I want you all to do is come. Keep coming and see. Keep seeing. And our Easter series, we have titled Come and See. And so that's not just the title for next Sunday, which is Easter Sunday. And I hope you do come back next Sunday and bring a friend. But it's our Easter series. It's, it's through Easter Tide. Again, it's not, it's not a single event. It's, a, it's your single life. <laughs> right? Come and see. This is, a, this is a high invitation, and it's not my invitation. It's a high invitation that's coming from Jesus. It's an invitation that Jesus is saying, come and see. See what my life is like. See what the life that I have to give is like. Because Jesus is the life giver. And he has, he has something for us, a way of being us, a way of being human that is truer and realer 
That's a good word. Like, it's what we're made for. And it gives us a fullness of life. Not the pettiness that could um, devolve us where, you know, correction comes and instead of embracing it and learning from it, we get in an argument with our brothers and sisters about which one we think's the very best. Like, that, <laughs> my parents used to always say that uh, every opportunity is a learning opportunity, right? You can always learn. Um, Mom was an educator. And I, I agree, you can always learn. But it doesn't mean we always have positive examples. You can learn from what's going on. Sometimes you learn what to do or how, what to say or how to be. And sometimes you learn what not to do, <laughs> what not to say and how not to be. And on this case, we have some of both, right? We can learn from the crowd and even the disciples, as, as important as they are, sometimes what not to do and what to say. And we can learn from Christ. We can come and see the life giver. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.